welcome to Perspectives, a podcast by Essence Learning LLC, and a place where leaders learn from leaders. Let's join today's episode. Hello, and welcome to our Essence Learning podcast on um, our Perspectives podcast, I should say. And today we have a very exciting topic as we talk about leaders in DEI. And this is especially a heart conversation for all of us um, as we are all in this field of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And as we explore it in today's uh, podcast, it's going to be great to hear as our perspectives as leaders as well. So before we jump into what we're going to talk about in regards to our diversity, equity, and inclusion and how to lead from that area, I would like to give a chance for all of our panelists to introduce themselves. I'll go ahead and start with you, Valerie, since you're in studio with me. Awesome. We have a full house of panelists today. Thank you all for being here. I'm Valerie Wilson with Essence Learning. Gosh, I'm just excited that you all are here, certified consultant, facilitator, and coach, and CEO of Essence Learning. And we'll talk more about leadership and all of that uh, when we get started. But I want to thank all of the panelists for being a part of this podcast, and especially you, Kiki, for hosting us. Yes, yes, I'm excited to be here. And we have some some other great panelists as well. I'll turn it over to April so she can introduce herself as well. Hi, my name is April Thomas. I'm the Chief Solutions Officer of S um, Strategic Diversity Management Solutions 360. And Valerie and Kiki, thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thank you. We're happy to have you. Walter, I'll let you go ahead and take it away. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Walter Campbell. Um, thank you so much for allowing me to be here and uh, a part of the panel. I am a recruitment and retention strategist um, at a um, organization company called First Arriving that deals with uh, public safety, um, fire departments, police departments, um, and EMS services. Uh, I am a 20-year Air Force veteran where my last five years I was a recruiter uh, in the South Jersey area for the Air Force. So again, thanks for having me. Thank um, you for your service, yes, Walter. Thank, thank you for you. your service. Thank you. And we have, uh, last but not least, uh, John, Troy, if you can introduce yourself. Absolutely. Uh, again, I'm happy to be here. My name is John Jacobs. I'm Director of Student Success in the Office of Student Life at Northeast Lakeview College, which is the youngest of the Alamo Colleges in San Antonio, Texas. Um, I am a influencer. Um, I also have a consulting business on the site where I consult in regards to session planning, durational studies, and leadership as well. So I'm happy to be here and excited to be uh, a part of this great panel. Thank you for having me. Right. Great, great. Thank you so much uh, for joining us all as we talk about this important conversation. As we all know that there has been a recent shift of the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion in organizations and workplaces. So today we want to really talk about and explore the complexities, the encounters, the issues that um, shape how we as leaders experience the workplace and also give some advice to our listeners on how organizations can better support a diverse workforce and looking towards the future, what's going to happen next in the realm of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I would like to hear all of your perspectives on what is a DEI leader? What are some of the skills, some of the competencies that really make up an effective DEI leader? 
I see Walter shaking his head and smiling. So Walter, I'll go ahead and, and start with you. You could give us some of those, those skills. There we go. Within the within the range and area um, of a leader, you know, you, uh, compassion, empathy, of course, um, understanding, um, being able to um, be culturally uh, aware and accepted um, or accepting is is pivotal, right? It's, it's, it's crucial to be able to have that. I mean, to to be culturally competent leaders. Um, that we want to be. We have to be able to learn. Um, we have to be able to live what what we've learned. And we also have to be able to lead uh, from where we've lived. And so um, we have to be able to, to leave um, that different legacy on on the one that we inherited. So when, when you're in that culture, you just have to be able to uh, from a leader's perspective, you just really have to understand um, where you're at and what act, it actually um, DEI represents and become you know, in that understanding. Great. Yeah, great, great words there. Uh, April, what about you? What do you feel are some of the skills and competencies of an effective leader? Sure. I think that uh, probably the main thing from our approach, the way that we approach diversity, or what we call diversity management, is to be able to develop a capability to manage diversity. Um, and so in that sense, there's a set of skills and tools that are necessary. And so, um, like, so for a characteristic, I would say that a good, uh, a strong leader, DEI leader or in this space, someone who makes decisions around DEI um, is someone who asks the right questions. They don't necessarily have to know all the answers, but they should be able to ask the right questions that can get them information that they need. And um, I think that there's also another characteristic would be, I mean, we have, we've identified like four questions that people, uh, people can ask. And I do wanna say that a, a leader, where there's the formal leader, you know, in terms of being um, in the DEI space and then just as leaders in general, and also everyone is responsible for diversity management or uh, being a participant in and responsible for um, just the work that everybody has to do. And in that case, I think that another uh, skill that um, uh, leaders need is for me, one key skill is being able to differentiate requirements from preference, traditions, and conveniences. Because it's around, if we make decisions based on requirements, it's like everybody has to agree on what's required and then everything else around that is either a preference, tradition, or convenience, and you can put it in its proper context. Often what happens is that we, we take things that are either preference, tradition, or convenience. Another way to describe those would be biases, and we make decisions based on those biases, but they don't help us achieve our objective or what's required. And so I think that's another skill is being able to differentiate that, because often the, the complaints that we receive or that we hear or that people submit to their organizations is that I wasn't promoted based on it, not because I didn't meet the requirements, but it was something that didn't have to do with the job requirements or the, my ability to do the job. Or um, I wasn't brought into a project, but it wasn't because they weren't qualified. It was something else that wasn't a fit definition, whatever that means in terms of how do you qualify, quantify that. Um, so I think just to being able to, that would be a key skill for any leader to differentiate between requirements and preference, tradition and convenience. And I think the last one 
uh, competencies. We, um, we have a set of diversity maturity characteristics. There's, there, we've identified eight of them, but it's basically how do you, in developing a capability, how do you become mature and how you think about the challenges that you face and what are the factors that you have to consider? And it's just like, I liken it to whether you're like say learning how to play golf, I play the piano. There's a set of skills you, you learn initially, but over time you have to practice them so that you become mature in executing them. And that's the maturity that we need to engage in as leaders in practicing diversity or practicing diversity management or engaging in the DEI work. Um, and so and they're differentiating between requirements and preferences, traditions and conveniences is one of those maturity characteristics. So that's where I would start. I mean, it's, there's so many things, but I think those are some basic ones that we can get that in place that will make a lot of progress. Great. I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned diversity and maturity, April, because that's something that I've learned from you is that in, or you're trying to make others become diversity mature. So you have to yourself be diversity mature as well. So yeah. I think that that's something that's great. That is a great characteristic for that leader in the DEI space to have. Um, Troy, what do you what about you? What do you have to add in about those characteristics? Yeah, I think our panel said some great things. I would uh, I would add in regards to maturity, what that looks like, some things as she was saying about maturity, I think of language and literature, right? Those are the the under the depthness of maturity, like being able to guide people through language. As you know, in a diversity equity world, there are different terminologies and definitions that are different from different agencies, um, institutions in my case, that you have to learn to provide that language and that, that foundation. So in my institution, we have guided us through what I, what we mean by diversity. What do we mean by equity? What do we mean by justice, right? Um, and so, uh, and literature is understanding the, the, the upcoming research, right, there in regards to diversity, equity, and inclusion, whether it's in nonprofit or it's in education, understanding the current understanding of, of the involvement of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then I think we mentioned about uh, being, I'm thinking about a different, um, skill sets you need to have is being able to, to provide key performance in, uh, indicators and understand quantitative and qualitative research, right? You be able to take these concepts, these big concepts of equity and sit down with folks and really hash out, okay, what is our outcomes and how we're going to reach those things. Um, and so those are kind of those key skill sets. If you're going to be a great leader in DEI, either in nonprofit or professional or workforce, you have to have those understandings and those key um, skill sets. Yes, I'm so glad that you brought that up, especially the quantitative versus qualitative, because so many people get hung up in those numbers. What are our demographics look like in the organization, right? But it goes beyond that into those qualitative measures that a lot of people forget that are needed in the DEI space as well. So I'm, I'm very glad that you, you brought those up. And Valerie, what do you have to add to this? It's just been some great conversations. Thank you all for those contributions. And I was really, as, as Troy was saying, I'm sorry, I keep calling Troy noise. My name is John. We've got so many names as far as I'm concerned. So John Troy said um, that this is a combination of this space that you have to not just have the skills. Uh, you have to be able to be mature enough to demonstrate the skills as well as be able to teach the skills. And so you have to start where people are. You have to be willing to have people start from where they are in this space. And that's in so many different places. And so for me, having those multiple perspectives, which is, uh, this is really one of my, probably my favorite word, uh, because I think in terms of 
be in any a leader period, you have to be able to know what you believe and be mature in your stand and, 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 and be true to that and embrace yours as well as be able to embrace someone else's. And so when you use those skills, when you use all of the, 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 the things that you've all talked about, that comes from a place of, I, I know where you are, I see you where you are, and now I'm going to use these skills. I'm going to use the language. I'm going to use the shift. I'm going to use where we are to help bring you into this space because this is a very, un so it's not like I'm going to go and teach. Uh, I mean, uh, teach you when you come in on board into my organization. This is the widgets that we sell and this is the products that we have. And this is what we do. This is our scope. This is our mission. That discussion now becomes this is how we embrace you individually. And this is how we recognize you as an individual. And how do we bring you all of all of our differences to a place um, where we where you can bring value to the organization? So you as a DNI, me as a DNI leader, I'm bringing all of these differences to the organization and saying we're gonna we're gonna all leverage everything that we bring to the table. So I've got to teach all of us what 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 uh, April was sharing. We've got to bring some maturity. We've got to take everybody along their way. And as a DNI uh, expert, I need to know where everybody is and how to bring them there through that literature, through that education. So we've got a, you know, we almost run our own business within a business as a DNI, right? You, you've got a, you've got a content, you've got a product. You're, you know, your diversity, equity, and inclusion, and then you've got to get everybody in the organization to buy into that product and then behave in a certain way to demonstrate that maturity that we want them to demonstrate. So we are really uh, strategic. And so when I think about what Essence Learning does, we bring the strategy to how do we get to run our small DNI organization uh, into a larger organization and bring value to the organization as well as leverage the talent and the skills that we have as individuals. So we have a we have a unique um, set of roles that we play within you know within this space. Right. I think all of that together, all of the, the words that you've all said, I, I'd like to add one more word to that, and that is fearless. I feel like leaders in this DEI space, they need to be fearless, um, especially when we talk about we're incorporating and we're initiating new things into organizations. You have to have that mindset. I'm going in here very fearless because I'm changing people's mindsets. I'm changing people's thoughts of views. I'm, I'm doing that for the organization as well. Which really leads me to my next question is, when we talk about implementing DEI into organizations, how do we, as leaders in this space, get the entire company, including senior leadership teams, which is really where you need to have that buy-in at, right? How do we get those, um, those individuals engaged with DEI initiatives? Valerie, you want to start, start with that? that? Yeah, and that's you know, one of the... One of the great things that, that we've learned over the years, this space has grown from being diversity to adding equity, to adding inclusion, to now adding belonging. So as we mm -hmm. learn uh, more about the needs of organizations, the needs of the people that's within the organization, um, we've also learned that our environment and our cultures are now encroaching upon our organizations. It used to be when I first started that there was that divide. This was diversity in the workplace. And then it became equity, which started to now spill into civil rights and different things that uh, kind of really started to talk about unequal and un unequitable. 
And then we started about inclusion. Now that we're so at the table, how are you leveraging me and including me? And now it's, I want to feel a sense of belonging. So we've gone beyond that. It's to how do I feel? And so we have really evolved over time. And so we have to, I think what Troy was saying, keep ourselves literate to the, that evolution and to that shift. But then I think to, to Kiki's question, how do I get people to buy in? You have to allow them to go on the journey. You can't push people past to equity when they really don't understand and embrace diversity. So yeah. and then as an organization, you really have to know from a data perspective where that organization is. And so we do things like data analysis and assessments and organizational relationship surveys to identify where is that organization. And then we do focus groups to identify where are we as, as individuals so that when we start to go to our organizations and make recommendations on where they should start, uh, and where they need to be, we need to take best practices. What are the best practices? Where are we trying to get that? We need to be able to articulate that and then say to the organization, here's where you are, here's where maturity looks like, or here's our best practice, here's where you need to be. And then we, as the DNI leader, have to create that strategy to help them go from where they are on their journey to where we want them to go in two years, three years. And then when they get to that three years, we got to be ready to take them to their fifth year. So we have to stay uh, strategic, if you will, in that space. But it's uh, it's a, it's uh, a lot of work for us. Um, again, we're running our own business within a business. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, a great term to put it as running your own business within a business. And so you have to get part A running yeah. and then start incorporating into part B. And so I know that sometimes causes conflict as well, right? And you're juggling many things. What about um, anyone else on our panel today? What would you have to add to that? How do you really work on getting those um, initiatives incorporated into organizations? I think part of that um, that process of bringing senior leadership and everyone else on board, particularly senior leadership, is uh, painting a picture for them of, uh, I think, recognizing that diversity is broader than what, say, race and gender or human demographics. And I say not, not to minimize that at all, but when you're looking at it from a CEO perspective, we often go in and talk to see uh, you know the c-suite folks at the 50,000 foot level so to speak and what we try to do is connect it to the business case i know that there's recently been a pushback from um i'll say people of color like like you mentioned valerie the belonging sense people want to know that they're part of an organization not because it fits the business model but I think if you're trying to bring the ceos though on board you have to connect with them at that business level because Yes. Honestly, everybody does not appreciate diversity in the sense of it's not their focus, and that's okay. In the sense of when we come into an organization, we, I think the key, um, John made the good point, what are definitions and language? That's key. You have to be able, everybody's, that's the challenge with this industry is that there's not a set definition. Like when in the medical definition, a heart attack is a heart attack is a heart attack. In any language, that's what it is. Um, in the sense there's not a set definition. So you, when you go from organization to organizations, they're different, I mean, everybody has a different definition for diversity and, and every and inclusion, belonging, it all is slightly different. And so I think you have to, um, but for us, we have a, we've identified four paradigms that people could look at diversity and there are more, but these are four dominant ones that are found largely in organizations. There's some two that start at the, um, from the social justice perspective in terms of making amends 
and what we call um, kind of valuing differences, appreciating differences. And the others are more performance-based, and that's looking at your organizational culture and then um, the, the external markets. CEOs and those folks who have to make these strategic, broad organizational decisions, they're looking at the marketplace. I'm not saying that they don't care about diversity, but when they, when we present it as a um, uh, race and gender issue, they have to be able to see how does this help me get to the bottom line when I'm accountable to stakeholders for how this organization functions. And so I think if you can show them where not only just the value of their perspective of diversity, because when you look at it from a performance perspective, they have a that's their behavior. How does the organization function? How does it get work done? And then it's also the people perspective in terms of how do you how do your people feel when they come into the organization? Do they feel as though they belong? Do they feel as though they have a sense of um, not only um, that they have a space that their voice is heard, that they can contribute to their full potential. And we have to marry those two or the four paradigms. And that way everybody feels like a part of the conversation because I, I'm learning that particularly when white males hear diversity, they hear that's not me, that's got nothing to do with me. And so if that's what yeah. their perspective is, we can't, how can we expect them to embrace talking about and supporting something that in their perspective, excludes them. And so I think that's important is to be able to show the a holistic perspective of what diversity means. And we define diversity as any collective mixture of similarities and differences and the related tensions and complexities. Right there, you eliminate the, 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 the demographics and the human demographics. You don't eliminate them. You expand the picture. And so it includes the race and gender, and it includes how does this team and this organization fit? How does your organization and your competitors, how do they interact? The mixtures are limitless in terms of how we can engage. And I think if we can show that in the, in the midst of looking at these mixtures, you will have to talk about representation. You will have to talk about how, does your, how do your people engage in, with, your, with your organization. But that's not, it's all a part of what you're trying to get work done. And so just to show, to expand the scope of what they understand is diversity and how they, it's important that they model it as well. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and I, and I really, when you said culture, I'm like, now we're adding in another term and title uh, to that diversity, equity, inclusion. I've seen culture added into that as well as part of people's titles and how we have to go in forth and changing the whole culture of an organization from that holistic point of view. Um, and I'm so glad, April, that you brought up the definition of how um, you define diversity, because I know your father, the, the late Dr. Roosevelt Thomas, really coined diversity. Um, and was held globally as the father of diversity. And so I really want to ask um, you all, what are your thoughts and what do you contribute to the new influx of DEI popularity? Because I know your father globally started that um, years ago, but now recently in the last two years, we've had this big influx pop of DEI positions being open. Organizations are like, I got to have somebody in here right now. What are we doing? Um, so what do you feel, what do you feel that has started from or can attest those, that influx of those positions from? Um, Walter, I'd like to, for you to go ahead and start that. Sure. Um, I, I, I think the boom, it, for, in personal opinion, uh, I think the boom comes from um, the fact that minorities specifically um, are in the workplace and we are feeling, we have felt more comfortable in saying 
that I don't feel included. And, um, you know, with social media, uh, the cancer, excuse me, cancel culture um, has really been able to show different organizations and companies um, in a negative light, right? And when, especially when dealing with um, racial issues or diversity issues and things of that nature. And as uh, across the board, we become more comfortable with um, our race, um, our sexuality, and 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 um, being able to say, this is who I am, and I need to be able to be who I am, not only um, in my personal life, but while I'm at work. I, I, I don't feel like switching or code switching or things of that nature. I just want to be comfortable. I love where I work. I just want to be comfortable and accepted where I work. And I think with more people becoming comfortable in that space and in that environment to be able to say, no, this is who I am and, and um, I need to be accepted. And I'm, I'm not really going to uh, hear or accept the, the comments or the jokes or the, the underlying tone of it. Um, and we have power now, right? And so we have power. And so companies um, across the board are saying, hey, this is uh, this is something that we really have to jump on board in, but there's no niche. There's nobody that's doing that. And so, you know, the right. training came in, DI training, you know, when it first uh, kind of took off, it was just DNI, right? And then boom, a couple of years later, we threw in the E part. Um, and so it's it's always evolving. It's always changing. Um, and and it's, it's an area that definitely has been um, not looked at and you know, with, with the power and comfortableness that we have, um, you know, it, it's, I think it's, it's a great thing, you know, companies are, are, are now, companies and organizations are now getting to understand, you know, um, in order to have, in order to get the best product out of my employee, there's going to have to be a little bit more that I need to invest in them. Um, and so I think that, that all aligns with the popularity of it. Awesome. All right. uh, John, I would like to see if you had anything to add to this, too, um, about the influx of DEI. Absolutely. Um, I think uh, you answered it very well. You know, I think just go deeper. Um, the um, I talked about mentioning we talked about generational studies as my background. Right now, we have five generations working in the workforce right now. And so with right, five generations, yeah. with Gen Z's and millennials being the most diverse um um, generation of our time, you can imagine a HR professional saying, "Oh, whoa, whoa, there's a lot going on." I, I'm, you know, my caseload has went from what 100 to 2,000 because of the different perspectives, the different types of people, and so that's just um, just perspective when you talk about the workforce. You talk about, you know, you working in an office with many different generations and perspectives and backgrounds. So that calls for. Um, um, different types of support and needs that people might have. In higher ed, um, I'm, I think someone mentioned it, Ms. Valerie mentioned about um, the adding the B onto DEIB. Um, and in higher ed, we added the word justice. So in here we call it DEIJ. And that's because in 2020, 2021, you know, with, with George Floyd and all the different kinds of things happening in our country, higher ed is saying, okay, 
we have young people that are really big on justice. They are out here um, boycotting and uh, and out here um, just really campaigning against uh, police brutality and and equity issues and not only in our school systems but our our and our our, our, poli our police and all of our systems and our political systems. So we're adding the word justice because that is an educational opportunity for us to to educate young people how to properly or how to effectively um, uh, advocate um, for yourself, how to effectively use your agency. Because I meant, she mentioned something about uh, power, us having our own power. Young folks, young adults have authority and agency that they've never had before because of social media, because of the advancement of our society. And so, um, those are the things that are kind of the backdrop of why DEI has become so much so popular in the last three to five years um, because of the things that happen in our, uh, our country and the response of these different generations to the issues in our community. Great. Can I add hey, that? Yes, please. Uh, I, would, I, totally, I agree with all of that. And I would just add from, a, from a working with, from an organ corporation perspective, I, this isn't new. It's unfortunate, like it seems like there, we have a, it's a, you asked if it was a, well, in the questions you asked, was it a fad or a trend? And I would say that it's kind of both. In a sense, anytime there's something tragic that happens, say with, in this instance, most recently it was George Floyd's murder. Corporations in particular are just like, oh my God, what do we do? How do we respond? And then they go, they look for somebody to do some diversity work. They wanna have race discussions. That's what we found, it was like right after that organizations that was like the the theme for like the whole year let's have race conversations and then when a lot of the consultants i work with me they were going they were doing this work going and having these conversations and i asked them i said okay so what happens after the race conversation and they were like i don't know it depends on what the organization wants to do because often what happens we have the race conversation things kind of start to tamper down because people their emotions they've been able to express that get that out time has passed and then things kind of go back to normal until boom, something else happens. We need a DEI expert come in, have a con another conversation. And my thing is like, when are we going to have, that's just my father described it as a vicious cycle. And we keep basically going around the same, I'll say we keep going around the same place on the mountain, but we never make progress beyond these race conversations. And my question is to corporations, when the conversations are good, and what's next? What are you going to do with this information? How many times do you need to hear the complaints and the challenges that your employees have before you actually make a change in your system? And so from, from that perspective, that's what I feel. I believe that that, that speaks to the popularity or an, another factor in the popularity of the, of the, the programs. Now, I'm, I think that companies on, in some regard are, they do want to address the issue on at least some level but to do the next step, which would take it to looking at your systems and your policies in terms of responding to what your people have shared in these race conversations, that would be the next step. And until then, you're gonna keep going around and having these conversations. Right, right, yeah, I think, I think that's all great. And, and it all kind of triggers, cause I like to leave our listeners with advice, right? And some of the things I've noticed is even scrolling on social media, I see more to, to John's point, more of our Gen Z um, 
people coming into the workforce saying, how do I become a leader in DEI? I want to get into this space. I don't know how to do it. Or I want to take my, my social justice from the streets into uh, the boardroom as well. So um, I would like for each of you to share with our listeners advice for those who are listening, who will want to get into this space, who want to become a leader in DEI. What would, if they came up to you today, what would you tell them? What advice would you leave them with? Valerie, do you want to start that? Oh, okay. I was really, really enjoying the conversation and was having my own thoughts going on. Uh, and it's to, to what April was saying, that this isn't new. Um, and the things that come to our plate around racial injustices and all of the things, George, it's now probably highlighted. Um, and they're asking people who are traumatized uh, in most cases, to come in and help with the solution. So the idea that, you know, when she says, hey, can you bring in a DNI specialist, that DNI specialist comes in and talking about race, that leader's coming and talking about race, um, they're, they're outraged, they're, we're all struggling with whatever the event is, and then we have to figure out what comes next. So how do we bridge from the awareness to actually action? How do we bridge ourselves from the hurt, the pain, the trauma that comes with some of the things that are happening to us that has created this awareness to actually educating and uh, healing uh, and providing policies and practices and ways of doing business. Um, our lines have blurred. So I think as my tip uh, is that to recognize that we are no longer operating in just civil issues or we're no longer just operating in an organization and workplace, our lines have blurred. And so to, to what uh, Mr. Campbell was saying earlier is that we have now the courage, we have the knowledge, but to what April is saying, we have not bridged the gap as to what we do past these conversations. And so as DNI leaders, I, I'm hoping that we start to figure out what is that bridge from, yes, this is traumatizing, yes, this is a shock, you know, out and in, in, in even within the our organization where people don't feel comfortable or feel included or they have their own complaint. How do we help uh, individual organizations and individuals bridge the gap between I am aware, I understand, I'm educated, I'm courageous, I'm ready, I'm fearless, I'm in, I'm in for the race, but I don't know what to do next. And so organizations that I'm working with now, they just go, I got all of that. I'm with you, but I don't know what to do next and how do I sustain that. So bridging that gap getting to a place where um, as, as DNI leaders, we need to know what that looks like. And I think that's our work right now. Um, and we need to come together to define no longer creating awareness and having the discussions. Our work now is what are the skills, the competencies, the needs, the strategy that we need to be giving leaders and individuals to move over. So if you wanna get in this space, it's not just a conversation. We, we're past that, I think, as a mm -hmm. profession. Um, and we're now looking at how to help leaders and organizations get into a place where they can they can sustain uh, and we can stop the trauma from happening. You know, I want to jump in there. Um, I, I think in regards to how someone who wants to be interested, who is interested in getting in that space, I think there's certain questions that you have to ask. Someone said earlier that D, D, uh, DNI and diversity, equity, inclusion is everyone's responsibility, right? So yeah. it doesn't matter where you are in your right. organization, frontline, 
um, or if you are the CEO, it's your responsibility. So questions that you could ask is who who is not who is left out in this conversation? Who is missing? I was in a training the other day, and a gentleman mentioned he's a professional um, in DNI area, and he mentions at every meeting that he has, he has he makes sure there's a vacant seat. He fills every room up, every space up, and leaves one seat open. And that one seat reminds him of who's missing in this conversation. What's missing and who's missing this conversation. So if you're interested in this space, you should be asking questions about who is missing and what is missing in the DNI space. Perfect. Yes. That's a good that's one. that's great advice. Um, I'm going to take that with me about the the vacancy because I yeah. feel like that's something that we need to tell mm-hmm. senior leadership as well. Um, when they're looking around the their boardroom tables, leave that seat open because you don't have the answers to everything. Somebody is missing from that room, from that and, conversation. and that's great. you already know somebody is missing mm-hmm. from that. So that is great. I'm definitely going to uh, take that nugget with me. We're going to add that to our tool. Thank you, there, Mr. <laughs> Troy. I think oh, I would. Add, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, April. I would add to um, what John said. Just like that's a great question. Like, who whose voice is missing from this ta- this conversation? And I think just for me, that goes back to asking, learning how to ask the right questions, um, and not uh, more. I think approaching for somebody who's new to the space, asking questions um, that challenge not challenge but give you yourself asking yourself the same questions and being able to ask others those questions as well and i think approaching it from the space that while you know everybody's at different levels in terms of our ability to manage diversity we do all have different levels of of managing diversity and recognizing that though someone may not be where you would want them to be it's important to recognize what they do, where they are, because whether you, you're managing diversity in an organization or even on a personal level in your own life, your own family space, diversity is something that we all engage with from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep. And so I think to recognize the, the experiences that people do have. And um, I like what you shared, Kiki, just about being fearless, because basically the, stat, the nature of this work is change agents. And you can't be a change agent in the midst of something that's been so un- unchangeable and immutable in a sense as trying to change how we as um, a people, and, and I mean humanity, engage with differences and similarity. Um, and then I would just say, prepare to be in this work for the long haul if you wanna make, see some change. Unfortunately, change has been slow in, um, in this space it's come but it's not something that's going, it's not, it's very contrary, I think, to the, the Gen Z and millennial experience of kind of fast food, boom, I press a button and this whole thing just happens, you know. Um, there's, it's not a rapid process. Not that it can't be, if we, but it's just that human, we as humans are slow to change. And so just to prepare yourself for that, um, for that possibility, I won't speak that over, that it's gonna take forever, but just be prepared. <laughs> Um, and then also have a support group, your own personal support group, because you're going to come into challenges that, mm, whether it be it's the instance such as George Floyd's murder, just that the whole world encountered, or even your own personal space, when you're trying to have this conversation and you get pushback, how do you respond to that? How do you deal with that? And often it's going to be important not only to have a support group, but your own inner, I'd say, spiritual strength that you can draw on to be able to help you push through those moments when they do come. I would add... Um, I, 
Yeah, I'm taking the seat. I'm taking the the, the seat analogy. Uh, using that right. next week. Um, matter of fact, we should have a little window, a uh, vacant window. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no. It, it, for me, for someone coming into this, fearless, definitely. Um, change agent, definitely. And also to be um, open and secure with yourself to realize that you don't have all the answers. Yes, you're the DEI person or the expert or the SME, uh, but you should be also be changing and, and, and learning and gathering information um, for yourself, right? And so um, I would also say communication. You know, a lot of times we communicate intensely, um, but without uh, connection, right? Without connecting intentionally. And so we can have all of these meetings, we can have all of these initiatives within a DEI scope, um, but if you're not connecting uh, with the organization or the people within the organization, then it's really gonna be that much more of an uphill battle. So you can communicate intensely, but you also have to communicate and connect intentionally. Um, and and I, in my I experienced that's been where a lot of my positive changes have has occurred from is connecting um, and communicating with um, intentional. Yes, yes. That, and that's so important to make those connections, right, with the DEI space. And even us talking today, that's connecting because we're all learning from each other. And I would just give the advice to never stop learning there's so much that keeps evolving in the world of DEI. We keep adding new cultures. We keep getting parts of new traditions and new things that are going on in the world. It's a never ending process of learning, um, reading books, listening to podcasts, like our uh, perspective podcast as well. You can just learn so much and then connecting like we do as well as leaders in the space, having these conversations and taking these bits and nuggets of, of what we're talking about and moving forward with that too. So I want to thank you all for joining us today. Thank you panelists so much for your insight um, as leaders in the space continue to lead um, and to continue to conquer in DEI. I know we're on a journey together. It's not just a a quick trip to the store. We're on a long haul journey um, and we'll be doing it all together. So thank you so much for your time. And that ends our episode. Thank you, everyone. Good to see everybody. And we'll stay connected. Thank you for joining Perspectives, a podcast by Essence Learning LLC. Essence Learning is your solution to personal and professional development. We partner with our clients to develop a learning strategy that will increase productivity, enhance performance, and align with their purpose and goals. For more information visit us online at essencelearning.net or call us at 1-877-657-5755.